It is a reality that some people aren't going to want to get vaccinated or going to be reluctant to get vaccinated. It's going to take more work. Um, there's about 150 million Americans who get vaccinated for flu each year. About 60 million of them are under the age of 15. So that's about 90 million people who get vaccinated for flu. I think that's your low-hanging fruit for getting COVID vaccinations out. Some high proportion of the people who get a flu vaccine are also going to get a COVID vaccine. If we just simply make this generally accessible to 65 and above this month, that's 50 million Americans. Probably about 30 million of them will take it. That's your low-hanging fruit. That's the pent-up demand. We need to start working that off because trying to push it into you know, very discrete populations, you're going to be bumping up against people who don't want it, and it's going to create friction. It's going to create... Um, a slowdown in trying to get this vaccination out. We need to get more people vaccinated quickly and recognize that every vaccination mm-hmm. at this point really is a public health win. Yeah, and we were supposed to get, that's Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Oh my God. We were supposed to have 20 million people with shots in their arms in December. It ended up being 5 million. I think he's dancing around the fact that this effort to get so concerned about equity and people of color dying at higher rates and all this stuff and try to work all that out as and opposed, immigrants as opposed to just getting it into as many arms as possible right. has been a disaster. We have a 100 point questionnaire in which we determine your intersectionality score. And after we compile that, we'll analyze it for six weeks and then get back to you on who ought to get the shots first. So uh, it's about herd immunity, which we learned. Did you follow the whole thing with Dr. Fauci, the New York Times article where he said, yeah, I've been moving the goalposts, but I didn't think people were ready for the facts. I did not, sir. Oh, oh, you got to be kidding me. And he took a lot of heat for that, and he should. Um, even Ian Bremmer said, I understand why he did it, but you can't be doing that. No. So, so he said, uh, we only need to get to like 60% to get herd immunity. Turns out it's more like 80 or 90%. But he said the public was not ready for that information yet. He said oh. it was an honorable white lie. And you got to wonder, how do you not wonder how many other honorable white lies have there been, including the don't wear a mask, which turned into obviously wear a mask. This trying to manipulate us because you don't think we're smart enough to deal with the facts has ruined society for generations to come. I think I I don't think you're overstating that by much. I don't think so either. Oh, by the way, speaking of masks, I I flew back and forth across the country again because I'm selfish and irresponsible. And (laughs) it was it was really interesting to be in uh, the Atlanta airport, which is major airport, uh, looking at uh, mask compliance and the rest of it. And uh, getting on the flight to to come back home actually was delayed for an hour and a half. So I had a good long time to survey the people around me. And every single person who was refusing to wear a mask in the terminal was a male between 30 and 60 who it looked clearly had been in a fist fight in the last six years. (laughs) It was all one personality type. How do you determine the whole you look like you've been in a fist fight in the last six years? I can tell by looking at guys. (laughs) There's an energy as well. (laughs) Right, Sean. You're exactly likes to likes to fight guy or at least used to like to fight guy. But it was it was something you were right. But it'd be hard for me to like completely nail down and pinpoint. If I had a room full of dudes, I could say, been in a fight, been in a fight, been in a fight. Never been in a fight in his life. Certainly not in a fight for a long, long time. Not since he was a teenager, right? But I'm not sure how I would do it. I just could. But you could. Sure you could. Um, Anyway, so yeah, so Dr. Fauci admitted that he misled us by a lot on how many people need to get the shot because he didn't think we were ready for the truth. So now, I was already cynical. Now I'm 
super cynical and will be for the rest of my life about anything. I mean, if he lies and he seems like a really good dude, I'm not an anti-Fauci guy. He seems like a good dude. How about all the really bad people in government? How much do they they lie to us about all kinds of different statistics about it'll help the homeless this percent or, you know, whatever it is. God, you know what happens right. all the time. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so you got that angle of it. Um, and then you've got the people that are just so up their own buttocks about equity with the vaccine that is slowing it down. And the governor of New York threatened with a million dollar fine and losing your license if anybody gets a shot that wasn't on the priority list. Mm-hmm. So they actually ended up throwing out a whole bunch of the vaccine because it expired. Before they got it into arms because they couldn't find enough of their people in the right groups to give the shot. As opposed to what Gottlieb is saying is any, just line up any Homo sapien who lives in America and get it in their arms so we can get to the right numbers so we can stop this damn thing. Right. Well, and they're not wasting any vaccines in Florida or Texas. They're giving them out as fast as they can. Meanwhile, the woke crowd is just tying themselves in knots, trying to make sure exactly the right people get it first and second and third. Oh, sorry, it expired. It's just unfreaking believe. It's such a great example of central planning versus a more free market uh, approach in terms of whether resources get distributed most uh, efficiently. And and the word equity may be the most Orwellian term of our times. Yeah, no equity meaning carefully and elaborately manipulated distribution of resources based on the preferences of the manipulator. That's right. equity? Well, yeah, to try to get things equal, even if there might be a good, strong reason that they're out of whack to start with. Certain groups that um, are dying are, 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 are doing things that cause the virus to spread more, for instance. Right, right, yeah. Um, I came across this article in the, uh, I think it was the, the Daily Mail. Uh, yeah. Uh, they were talking about how the uh, coronavirus has disproportionately affected the immigrant population in Cal Unicornia and how it was a tragedy and a lot of people were going back to Mexico and the rest of it. And, and they were talking about immigrants, many essential workers, uh, you know, uh, cleaners and cooks and farm workers and the rest of it. And, and doctors, a third of doctors are immigrants and many nurses are immigrants and pharmacy. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, like hotel maids and farm workers? Okay, but you're telling me doctors ought to be pitied because they're immigrants? They make more money than you. They make more <laughs> money than me. And and they're they're highly trained and skilled professionals, but somehow they're a victim because they're that doesn't compute. Right. Yeah. Um so and then what I think is the biggest story that has happened on the planet, but isn't getting that much attention for a variety of reasons, is the mutation of the coronavirus oh, yeah. into a faster spreading variant. Originally, when it debuted in Great Britain, or maybe it debuted in South Africa, it's hard to tell, tell, but they thought that this new version, while not uh, deadlier specifically, it's not going to make you sicker, it spreads 70% faster. They have oh. lowered that number to 59%. But so let's, enough. So let's call it 60. It spreads 60% faster. So the worst health emergency that's happened practically in the history of the planet uh, that particular virus now spreads 60% faster. That's not a big deal. Well, usually it was presented in a story as doctors believe the vaccine will still work on this new variant. Thank God. If it didn't, it should be the only story on the planet. Well, vaccines <laughs> like rust, I'm sorry, uh, uh, viruses like rust never sleep. 
Um, and it's a mutating as we speak. Now, all the doctors, you know, and I heard it explained, they said it just it would be very hard for it to mutate enough that the vaccine don't work. Not, you know, and I hope that that's true. Good. Like I said, if it spreads 60% faster and the vaccine doesn't work, stop the presses. That's the only story you need to talk about. Reboot the modem. I, who uses presses anymore? <laughs> Uh, But the fact that it spreads faster, even at the same old, same old rate of uh, uh, making you sick, is still a very, very big deal. And the Atlantic had their science editor write a story saying, basically, stop the presses. The mutated virus is a ticking time bomb. I'll tell you what, I'll get to some of the math of it when we come back, because it's horrifying. It is absolutely a race now between getting the vaccine into people's arms and this new, faster spreading version of the virus. We've had one in Southern California, we've had one in Florida, and one in Colorado that I'm aware of. You, do you know of any more? Which is not very many. None of those people had traveled, so they're not exactly sure how they got it. That that expl- that says everything. It's all over the place. Probably. It's all around us. Have and we, it, we're, it reminds me of like January, February of the COVID thing in general. Where actually, we now have 20 cases confirmed. No, you don't. You, there are hundreds yeah, of thousands. Actually, it could be the full explanation for why L.A. County, you know, even as strictly locked down as it has been, is one of the worst spots in the world for the coronavirus. They got the, the faster spreading version, well, just like they had in London. I'm looking forward to hearing that math next. I will just say it, it appears now to be a race between the vaccine and just everybody getting it, and those who are going to die, die, and those who aren't, aren't. Holy cow. I mean, it's it's science versus nature. Oof. That's rough. Nature uh, nature has a good winning record. Oh, oh yeah. Ask the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't, because they're dead. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. When icicles form, it's from water that melts off of your roof and runs down the side of a building. Well, here's the thing. You know what else is on your roof? Bird poop. A lot of it. And that water (laughs) picks it up and freezes it in the ice. You're eating poop. Warning against eating icicles. As a uh, guy who grew up in uh, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Kansas, I've eaten a gazillion icicles, and I seem to have survived it. They always tasted a little funky, too, and now I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I just expected them to taste like ice out of the freezer, and there was always a little wang to it. There's a little black specks in there, too. I always remember the icicles were full of specks. I'm sure that was nothing. And, of course, breaking them off and wielding them like swords, a cherished part of childhood in the upper Midwest as well. Good times. So the Atlantic acknowledges that there have been a lot of clickbaity harem scarum virus stories over the last nine months that what? weren't really that weren't really worth being scared about. But they're saying this one is. And I'll admit I was seeking out somebody taking this as seriously as me. When I heard that the virus had mutated and could now spread sixty percent faster, I thought this is a huge deal. But every article I went to, when I could find an article about it at all, it downplayed the significance and said, well, it's not more deadly, so uh, who cares, basically. Well, the 
24-year-old journalism degree holding, uh, you know, the scribblers of our nation have no comprehension of this stuff. And I thought, that can't be. This has got to be a big deal. And Boris Johnson just shut down London. I mean, shut it down. Like, everything was closed. And so many countries around the world wouldn't let anybody in from London as soon as this was announced a couple of weeks ago. Of course, now it has spread. It's all over. It's in California. It's in Florida. It's in uh, Colorado. And it's probably everywhere. And we just haven't figured it out yet. But so... um uh, the Atlantic talking to their scientists explaining why it's a bigger deal to have something that spreads faster than it would be to have a virus that made you sicker by quite a bit. Um, it's really the difference between exponential and linear if you're into math at all. But they compare a 50% increase in virus lethality to a 50% increase in virus transmissibility, which is Basically, what we've got going on this. Okay. Um, they take ten thousand active infections, the 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 uh, rate at which people get infected, blah blah blah, all the stuff, the numbers that you probably know already. Um, as that stands, you'd expect one hundred and twenty nine deaths in a month from ten thousand active infectants currently. One hundred and twenty nine. Okay. If you make the disease fifty percent more lethal, it would go from one hundred and twenty nine to one hundred and ninety. Oh. oh. To one hundred and ninety three. I was going to say 258, but no, that would be twice as lethal. So, okay, 193. Right. So it would go from 129 to 193. Call it 200 just to make it round numbers. Excellent. So you'd end up with about 200. You just killed seven people for the purposes of your illustration. That's a little cold. <laughs> um, so you got about 200 people died because it's 50% more deadly. In contrast, take the same old ordinary COVID we've got, but you make it 50% more transmissible, you'd lead to almost 1,000 deaths out of that same crowd. So it goes from 200 to 1,000. It's not even close how much bigger a deal it is that this is more easily transferred than the, that the, than if it had been more deadly. I haven't seen and that the, anywhere. The media got it completely upside down. Oh and I'm, I'm, I'm excusing that on Christmas break and people being in a hurry or whatever, but this is a giant story for the world, and it is absolutely a foot race to the finish line between getting the damn vaccine out and this faster spreading virus just taking over our lives. Man, I don't love our chances. I don't, you know, I, well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you think I am one of those people, but I don't think I have been a harem scarum guy on the vaccine since this whole thing started. I think this could turn our lives upside down. Like, I mean, we are absolutely shutting down because it's just everywhere. It's killing people like crazy. You Well, you heard those numbers there. Yeah, the stories out of L.A., with all due respect to the manipulation of ICU bed numbers, they're actually out of ICU beds in L.A. and every other kind of bed, too, in a lot of places. Um, and the stories in the L.A. Times, I retweeted one. It's absolutely harrowing. It's the stuff of nightmares. People with laying in hallways or the emergency room or whatever with panic in their eyes because they just can't get enough oxygen. And it's like drowning. And they're not getting the care they can. The nurses are running back and forth, the rest of it, and they're dying there of this insidious disease alone. Wow. And it sounds like an awful, awful way to go. Um, and, and then uh, I tweeted that, and it was the next day, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, but I was dropping off a retirement present to a buddy, and uh, several of our, our mutual golf buddies were around, and and they were all hanging out. They were going to go play poker uh, together. I was like, oh, okay, you know, I really can't because I'm going to visit my mom and the rest of it, uh, and if she gets the COVID, she's dead, so uh, not going to do it. They said, we've all had it, all of us. 
And every one of them said, I had the sniffles for like two days. I'm fine. He said, they all said, dude, you want to get this and get it over with. Meanwhile, and, and that was juxtaposed with the article from the L.A. Times describing the, the horror and the misery and the 41-year-old congressman and the rest of it. So I swear to God, I just, me, you, nobody, we don't know what to make of this. It's just crazy. Yeah. And confusing. Um, and poorly reported. Yeah, well, I, I you know, I, I hope this doesn't isn't what it looks like, but uh, I'm more frightened about it than I have been since the beginning of the thing. Mm. Because of this new mutation, I hope I hope I'm missing something or I'm wrong or whatever. Yeah, yeah. For yourself or society and the economy, and... for just society. Yeah. yeah, just just for everything. Um, my final note on this, since we you don't know, want to be doom and gloom all the time, but if we end up devastated by this new mutation because we focused on making sure that the vaccine goes out to people in various income groups in an equitable way and skin color and stuff like that, as opposed to just getting the freaking thing out there. We won the science battle, but we lose the political correctness battle. That will be one of the black eyes in the in the history of mankind. Yeah, oh, my God. Nobody ever reports on it. Can you? Well, that is what's happening. That is what's happening right now. It's absolutely we what's happening. We won the science battle. We're losing the political correctness battle and getting the damn vaccine out. We read in, uh, an email uh, a couple hours ago, I guess it was, from a pilot in California who's 65-plus and really anxious to get the uh, vaccine. And he can't figure out where, when, how, if, and, and, and if so, when. He, just, he can't get any information on when the vaccine's going to come his way. How can that be? Well, that's a state-by-state thing, because once, well, right. once the stuff gets to the state, it's up to your state to be good at it at that point. Well, right. It's going, uh, the first, it's got to be uh, immigrant, Eskimo, uh, lesbians of color. Um, we got to start with them. we got to find them first. Whoops, the vaccine expired again. The Armstrong and Getty That's one of the words on the banished words list for 2021 that they would like to retire after. <laughs> Those were all uh, individual national commercials talking about how we're all in this together. The, oh, yeah. The phrase was likely intended as a way to keep everyone feeling safe and calm at the start of the pandemic. However, as the virus made its way across the globe and nation, it became clear that we're all dealing with COVID in different ways. <laughs> and we confront vastly different challenges. No kidding. That's a very good point. Health-wise, financially, just everything. Where's Madonna when you need her? Mm-hmm. It's the great equalizer. Okay. Is it? There are people who need and want greeting card sentiments from national advertisers. But I don't know them, and I don't hang out with them. <laughs> people who respond, oh, oh, Shell Oil just said we're in this together. That makes me feel better. Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> You know, I'd meant to do this earlier, but I didn't because I'm an idiot. Uh, I'd like to welcome a couple of brand new affiliates to the Armstrong and Getty Show, the mighty KFQD in Anchorage, Alaska, and WBQO, St. Simons Island, Georgia, which is kind of southeast Georgia. I love that part of the country. If the wind is blowing right, they might even be able to hear us in Jacksonville, Florida. But uh, those uh, two stations are 4,600 miles apart. Wow. Dang, they're 5,000 miles apart. 
Anchorage and uh, St. Simon's uh, Island, both of which are just absolutely wonderfully beautiful places in this yeah. uh, incredible country of ours. But uh, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show, my friends. If you find it a little strange and odd and you can't quite figure out what's going on, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. Um that's we're it's it's a different show. We are not cookie cutter. We're not rush clones. We're not a morning zoo. We're kind of just what we are. So anyway, thank you for tuning in. This is notable, my friends. If you're a regular listener of the Armstrong and Getty Show, you're more than aware that Portland, Oregon, has been ripped apart by violence. Uh, the downtown part of Portland for months and months and months, hundreds of days in a row. Uh, political violence ignored by the mainstream media because it's inconvenient. You're Antifa type, you're black block, you're, uh, you're anarchists, uh, lawlessness, drug abuse. It's just f- falling apart. One of the great, beautiful cities in the country is falling apart. And the mayor is a fellow by the name of Ted Weasel. Some pronou- pronounce that Wheeler, uh, Ted Wheeler. Uh, Ted Weasel um, has been attempting to uh, pander to, pacify, go along with the Antifa, Antifa types for months. Months and months and months. And you remember, who was it? Was it Nancy Pelosi? Who was it that said, Antifa doesn't exist? They're a fantasy. Oh, no, it was Gerald Nadler. Called it a myth, yeah. Yeah, that that, that waste of skin and quite a bit of it. Uh, Gerald Nadler. <gasps> wow. I believe that but was so, a weight shot. <laughs> so Ted, Ted Weasel, uh, after a terrible, violent, destructive New Year's Eve, finally stepped to the microphone, apparently borrowed a testicle, and, and said... Borrowed a testicle. And, and, follow, and, an said, <laughs> and said the following. Uh, let's start with 25, Sean. As journalists, when you confront a new event, you're encouraged to follow the framework. Who, what, where, when, and why. Who? Violent, Antifa, and anarchists. What? Rampaging through Portland, breaking windows, spray painting, causing reportedly tens of thousands of dollars of criminal destruction, extensively damaging both taxpayer and privately funded property. Now, again, this has been going on for months. Oh, geez. And and the destruction is in the many millions of dollars. And the lost revenue to businesses that had to close, got damaged, etc., is in the tens of millions of dollars. And it was only uh, a day or two ago that Ted Wheeler finally said it out loud. And like you, my friends, I have been just floored. I'm drowning in all the national coverage of that. Oh, that's right. Nobody picked it up at all. Nobody's talking about it because it's inconvenient to the narrative. Uh, Give us clip number 26, Sean. Why would a group of largely white, young, and some middle-aged men from all reports destroy the livelihood of other people who are struggling to get by? It's hard for most of us to even comprehend what goes on in Uh the heads of people who think it's okay or a good idea to go on a violent rampage through the city on New Year's Eve and during a pandemic. It's the height of selfishness. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, Those people have been around for for quite a while uh, in the world and in your city. And if you send the signal that, Hey, you just want to smash stuff? You can smash stuff here. We're not going to stop you. Right. You want to smash up the federal courthouse. And and 
you did it before Trump sent in those uh, those uh, marshals. You did it after Trump sent in those marshals. The Washington Post didn't tell you that, did they? Um, but it's been going on for months. And, Ted, we have been trying to tell you for months now that there was only one choice. You can't passive your way out of this. you got to take control. Well, I don't want to look a gift weasel in the mouth. The good news well is said. that, um, you know, if, if he's come around, th- th- that's good news. Finally, Sean, clip 27, please. People who know me know that I'm a caring person. I'm an honest person. And it's been hard for me and for others to accept the reality that there are just some people on this planet hmm. who are bent on criminal destruction. Wow, he is the definition of I wouldn't he's definitely not a conservative now, but you know, the the old joke of uh, what's a conservative a liberal has been mugged. Yeah. He's the definition of that change in mindset. Yeah. Him saying it's been very difficult for us to wrap our heads around the fact that there are some people out there that just want to destroy things and take stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. And if you make it clear that you can destroy things and take stuff, whoa, they'll do it night after night. A couple of more points very briefly. He still clings to the uh, politically correct woke thing in claiming that it's mostly men when there are lots and lots of young women who are militant Antifa black block uh, anarchist types. Um, and, and they often drive it. It's just that the men are bigger and stronger and so more destructive physically. Um, but it's absolutely women. And and speaking of which, I had a, a conversation with my daughter, my oldest kid, Kate, who was home for a few days over the holidays, which was great. We don't see her nearly enough. But she's a young woman, lives in the Seattle area. So you can guess what her politics are. Um, and, and I ought to talk a little bit more about her and her life and her challenges and stuff at some point. But um, I was explaining to her the great unifying theory that the, through which I see the world, and that is that we need balance. And a lot of you have heard this before, but uh, we need soldiers and we need poets. We need men and we need women. We need conservatives and we need liberals. And we need order and we need compassion. Because order without compassion is brutality, and compassion without order is chaos. And Portland and Ted Wheeler have been experimenting with compassion without order. Seattle, the same. You see what's going on there. San Francisco, the same. You Hop from needle to poop to needle to poop, and you could hop all the way across the city in San Francisco. It's dying. L.A.'s Skid Row, dying. It's compassion without order. And, and, you know, maybe it's a good thing, and we've said before, it'll be interesting to watch this play out. It's playing out. Yeah. None other than Ted Wheeler has been forced to say, whoa, these are bad people doing bad things for bad reasons. Much like when Mr. Miyagi was teaching young Danielson the crane kick on the front of the boat, it's in balance. Balance in all things, Danielson, I think is what you were getting at there, Joe. Thank you for that, Mr. Miyagi reset, Sean. <laughs> Cobra Kai Season 3 dropped on New Year's Day. Oh, so, did it really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so happy. So what's with The Mandalorian? We sat down to watch our next episode over the weekend and realized the season was over. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's all it, No, the, the show is over. Uh, Spoiler alert. It's completely over? Nah, nah. It's over, nah, over. Nah, they don't have nah. plans for a Season 3? No, did, you didn't see the end of the last episode, did you? There's a, After did. the credits. The post-credit scene? No, I didn't. Post-credit scene. No. Uh, don't I, tell me about it. That's fine. So, uh, so the Boba Fett character, I believe the next 
uh, Star Wars story kind of in that thing is going to be the the Book of Boba Fett. So it may be exactly. a, a longer time before we get back to the Mandalorian proper. But I don't believe oh, that really? it's going away. In in wow, they, they, I, the next wow. season is Boba Fett. Who knows if the Mandalorian will ever return? He may. I don't follow the news of this kind, so. You know, I just you really ought to log on to the uh, discussion boards more often. <laughs> it would be very shocking if they were just to walk away from God, the, I would the, say. the success of The Mandalorian. I think they're just going to fold it in and, and, and create new things. I thought the last well. two episodes were the best two episodes of the entire thing. Yeah, so, yeah it was great. To have it just <laughs> in, oh, my <laughs> son is going to be so disappointed when I tell him it's over. It's just over, over. Yeah, yeah, Joe's overstatement. Michael, sad trombone him. Sean needs to wake up and smell the reality. <laughs> You know what I did get into, though? I mentioned while watching Hannibal, and it's really good, but, man, it is the goriest thing you've Earth. ever seen times ten. Ugh. So you have to be, you know, the sort of person to take that in. I don't want that. I got into S. Creek, the comedy. So you remember at the Emmys, it won the most mm-hmm. comedy Emmys any show's ever won. And I thought, I love comedies. i got to be a guy who checks that out. I watched yeah. a couple episodes. I thought, it's all right. You got to give it time. You got to get into it. It is now... At the very pinnacle of things I've ever watched in my entire life. What? Where do you start? What season? Because I thought season I, one was just okay. I would start at the beginning. Really? Um, yeah. Season I, one's I, okay. Season two is similar to Seinfeld. They they really start to kind of hit their stride early to mid season two. I would guess. Okay. I'm only in season two, but to 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 me, it's you got to catch on to the fact that the facial expressions mm-hmm. are ninety percent of the show. Most shows you don't need to see the facial expression. It's broad comedy. This right. is nuanced stuff. But okay. it is I, I put it with the off of the British office as the best shows I've ever seen. Wow. We're talking Spitz Creek. Because yeah. we don't think yeah. we can it's say just, the name. I, I I I'm at the point where Credits roll. Any character walks in the room, I'm already laughing. <laughs> I'm at that point with this wow. show. Wow. Can we say Shites Creek? <laughs> it's just every character is hilarious. Shites Creek. So if you no. ever gave it, if you never, if you tried it and didn't like it, man, let it go longer because it becomes. Okay, I will. You got to get to know the characters. Well, given the choice between brilliant comedy and like people's guts being ripped out of them, <laughs> I'll take the comedy, Mister uh, TV uh, Guru. There, <laughs> guys, I'm watching the Great British Baking Show. Oh yeah, yeah. how do you like it's it? Quite popular. Do you watch Nailed It? No, oh, like that's pretty shows? funny. That's a good show. That host, though, I can't take her. The, She's uh, just so pleased with herself. The um, what was the singer? She looks like the singer. Oh, with the the large buttocks. Man, who's going to need more more specificity? Big the, gal, the, the really big black dates other like, women. Yeah, Lizzo, Lizzo the, the yeah. Lizzo host. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah no, you, I can't she, take she, it. She, she, <laughs> she's off putting. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, anyway, we got more on the way of a variety of things we got to get to. Our text line is four one five two nine five KFTC four one five two nine five KFTC. How about the fact that one of the richest people in the world, after bad mouthing the Chinese, has disappeared from the face of the planet? Is that getting many people's attention? Holy cow! Among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The youngest, 91%, nearly 92% of folks in Generation Z 
are making New Year's resolutions. Watch how this moves as you go through the age categories. With millennials, it's still very high. With Gen X, it's high, but now you're down to about three and four. With baby boomers, now you're down to about 60%. And with the silent generation, the oldest group in here, you're under 50%. So that's pretty interesting. Why does making New Year's resolutions drop off from practically everybody when you're young? <laughs> Is it because you've tried and failed and, and just feel like uh, it never works? Part of that. Part of it's that. Part of it is probably, look, I am who I am. You're perfect? I'm, oh, no, no. <laughs> who gets to be 70 years old and thinks I'm perfect? No, I think it's more like, look. You know, I do this and I do this. On the other hand, I'm pretty good at this and that and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to change. Yeah, I sent out uh, a text to family members saying, what's your New Year's resolution? And got a variety of responses from, uh, you know, drink more water, watch less TV, blah, 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 to the usual New Year's resolutions are stupid. (laughs) Um, Which, in reality, my brother texted back, if you want to change something, change it while you wait till New Year's Day. Yeah. Which I get. Yeah. But I, it's, yeah. I don't know. It depends how you're made, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my New Year's resolution mostly for reals is to, uh, I lost 10 pounds last year and I just want to continue. So this is the first time I've ever had a continue last year's successful resolution because I've never had a success, successful resolution before. Weight loss. How original. Uh huh. <laughs> um, do you have one? My other um, New Year's, my, my second New Year's resolution is to get new glasses because mine poke me in the head. You know, I've come, uncomfortable. To a, I've come to a significant decision. I don't know that I would call it a New Year's resolution, though, because it had nothing to do with New Year's. It has to do with my oldest kid, Kate, who's okay. who's really struggling. Um, just, you know, the very short version is she has Asperger's syndrome, which is kind of a milder form of autism, but it's no joke. And, um, and I've been, I try to really respect my kid's space and not oversteer. I don't want to be the meddlesome parent. Um, and I think with Kate, I may have under-consulted a little bit. Hmm. And so I'm going to I'm gonna do a little more coaching, a little more checking in. Um, just try to be more helpful. So anyway, that's that's my project. Poor kid. God dang, she's so brave and worked so hard. But life is rough. Life is challenging. That's a lot uh, heavier New Year's resolution than like organize my socks. Yeah, well, you know, you got disorganized socks. You never know where to reach. You know, you're looking for warm ones, you get the little half socks. <laughs> I would never put that down. <laughs> um, uh, Michael, New Year's resolution for real? Giving up sugar. I think. Ah, that, that is our family resolution. We have a family resolution, less sugar. But what is your goal? Uh, sugar and carbs, I, I'm doing everything. I've been off of it for about five or six days now. So I'm just doing trying to live healthy. Yeah. Meat uh, and cheese. Nuts all day long. Sean? Well, I uh, I have inverted the birthday wish and the New Year's resolution. I make resolutions on my birthday, and then I, I ah. just wish for a good year going mm. forward. Just because the, the birthdays are much more, it's 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 a much more meaningful marking of the calendar than it's your New Year. I've yeah, probably exactly. yeah, I've probably done more birthday resolutions than New Year's. Resolutions. Yeah, so I, I am once again just wishing for uh, as much video game time as I can get in 2021. <laughs> Not so much a resolution, but just really hoping hoping it out there. So Wall Street Journal has an article today on how to stick to things, and uh, their main advice is think small. Everybody wants to make giant changes. Um, in specific, they're talking mostly about, you know, don't decide, okay, I'm going to put away 20% of my salary this year or anything like that, if you haven't been. Mm. 
in this I've seen this happen all the time with exercising in my life and many people's others. You go from not exercising at all to join a gym and I'm going to work out two hours a day. Mm-hmm. And, it's just, and you do that for like a week and you think, this sucks. Well, it's because you've radically changed your life and people don't generally like to radically change their lives. Right. So you do a little bit. Uh, tiny changes. This guy says, do two push-ups a day for as long as you can, then increase it to three. Don't like join a gym and try to work out for an hour and a half. Or save 1% of your pay. Start now. If you can do that for a while, you know, increase it. Real, meaningful, lasting change happens almost so slowly you don't even notice it. Like, and to to your point of making big, drastic changes is just a good way to to get burnt out on the thing that you are trying to improve. Has that ever worked for anybody? What's that? The the big giant uh, go from about face. <laughs> go from inactive to join a gym. I'm going to work out an hour every day. Sign up for all the classes. Yeah, and... <laughs> has that ever well, worked? When it works, we hear about it over and over and over again, <laughs> and, and you that, start to get the idea that it's common. And that guy has a uh, a website and his own line of creams. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's got, got a, he's got a show on NBC for one season after The Biggest Loser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, it says, and don't rely on motivation. That's not going to be enough. I think that's really interesting. Rely on fear. Hmm. Have an enforcer in your life. Someone who's willing to hurt you. And it said <laughs> what we uh, have often talked about, which is just true and a great thing to learn, that good habits are as hard to break as bad habits. And if you make it a habit to do a push-up every single day, pretty soon it'll be a habit you can't hardly stop doing it. And then you increase it to two or whatever. Yeah. That, that's good advice. That's really good advice. Yeah, I like that. Well, and if you do two push-ups for five days in a row, that third one's effortless. Third one's easy at that point. And so's the fourth and fifth, and before you know it, the 27th one. It's pretty easy, too. Even if you're our, our old news guy, Marshall Phillips? <laughs> who, who couldn't do four? <laughs> After a year of trying, and he ended up in the hospital. <laughs> Poor guy. It's not funny. Why are you laughing? Armstrong and Getty.